Let's pray, and then we'll get into Mark 11. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning. Thank you, God, that that you're in the business of restoration, you're in the business of redemption, you're in the business of miracles, and God, when we don't believe, forgive us. When we have little faith, God, would you make it great faith? Would you remind us, God, that you chose 12 ordinary, very, very ordinary individuals, and you changed the world? And God, also forgive us when we see the brokenness in others before we see the brokenness in ourselves. Help us all the ways to be about your business and not our own. Now I pray, God, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, open our ears. Help us to hear, help us to see, and help us to respond. In Christ's name, amen. Mark chapter 11 from the English Standard Version reads this way. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he, being Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, is Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. 
Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. May the Lord add his reading, or his blessing to the reading of his word. You've all heard the saying before, and I'm pretty sure you probably agree with the saying, and that is, timing is everything. Would you agree with that? I mean, if you ever fried an egg, timing is everything, right? Some people like over easy, some people like over medium. If you've ever fried an egg, I think you would probably agree that timing is ever. if you've ever eaten an egg, right, a fried egg, timing is everything, right? I, I want the white to be a little bit solidified and the yolk to be a little bit runny, right? Timing is everything. I'm told if you've ever skydived, or maybe you jump out of a good airplane and you pull a cord, I'm told timing is is everything. Would you agree? Timing is everything. You know, we've been talking through the Gospel of Mark the last several months, and this is another scenario, it's another example that timing is everything. Now what I mean by that is up to this point, Jesus, every time He does a miracle, you'll remember, every time He does a miracle, whether it's healing of a leper, or whether it's some other miracle, Jesus always says what? He always says, don't tell anyone what I've just done. Right? Don't tell anyone who I am. Anybody remember that? Right? If you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark with us, you'll remember Jesus always says, don't say anything. Why is that? You know why it is? Because timing is everything. We don't get that here in Mark chapter 11, do we? This is a new section, if you will. If you've been reading it, it there's almost a huge divide between chapter 10 and chapter 11. You're all probably aware that there are no chapters and verses in the original manuscripts. But between chapter 10 and chapter 11, something significant changes in that instead of telling people not to say anything about who he is, about his identity, a major theme throughout the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 11, 12, and 13, everyone, religious people, pagans, Jews, Gentiles, everyone is made aware of who Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us. We talked in our Bible study this morning about the significance of not just a God that's sovereign, not just a God who is outside of time and space, not just a God who is omniscient, who knows everything about us and loves us anyway, amen? But a God who is right here in the midst of our struggle. A God who if I have cancer, or if I know someone who has cancer, that probably applies to all of us. A God that we can pray to and know that God, we are not alone, right? That God is with us. That's pretty significant. And so, when we have this transition from don't say anything, don't tell everybody who I am, don't tell anybody, to now, let's make it known who Jesus is, we see in chapter 11, this scenario of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt which had never been ridden before. That's what the text says, right? In Zechariah chapter 9, you could read this here on the screen with me. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter. By the way, Zechariah, just a few hundred years before Jesus, right? Notice this is a messianic prophecy. It says, Rejoice, daughter, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Notice, your king. What is a king? 
Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey. Kind of interesting, right? Hundreds of years before this little baby is born in Jerusalem, this prophecy is written in Zechariah about Jesus. Righteous and having salvation is He. We'll come back to this idea here in just a second about salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow should be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from east to west, from north to south. All peoples, right? Jews and Gentiles alike. Now as a Jew, you would know this Messianic prophecy. You would know this applied to you. The problem you would have, though, is that when it says from sea to sea, that means Gentiles as well. That means pagans. That means people outside these walls. That means people that don't know any better, right? But for all, John 3.16, he just quoted it for us just a few minutes ago. For all nations, it says, speak peace to all nations. His rules shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant. Why? Because of the blood of the covenant. Did you hear that? This is an Old Testament prophecy. Little did they know that the blood of the covenant was not just something that happened at the temple on the Day of Atonement. Every time they went to the temple, they made sacrifice, right? Little did they know the real lamb would come into the world and change everything, turn everything on its head. This is what gives us hope, church, because the blood of the covenant with you. I will set your prisoners free. Who needs to be set free from sin? Your prisoner to sin. Amen? You're a prisoner to sin, right? And you need to be set free from sin. That's what the gospel is. That is the good news. That God offers redemption. God offers restoration. God offers freedom. You, you can no longer, you have no, uh, uh, you, you can't be in bondage anymore. That's amazing. That's, that's good news, right? I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit, it says. The gospel. Timing is everything, right? So who's Jesus? Remember, this is hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming into the world. And here in Mark chapter 11, we have Jesus who tells a couple of his closest followers to go into Jerusalem and to find this young donkey who's never been ridden before. This is a sign of royalty. Only royal people, only kings rode on donkeys. Only kings would have people throw palm branches on their pathway. Only kings would be acknowledged as such, as kings, right? Here in a few weeks, we're going to talk about how even the Romans recognized Jesus as king. How so, you might say? Because they hung a plaque over the cross that said, King of the Jews. Little did they know, Jesus was king of the world. Not just Jew, but Jew and Gentile alike. King of the world. For God so loved the world. Not just the Jew. For God so loved the for God so loved the world. For God so loved the, the cosmos. So what do you do with Jesus? 
That makes all the difference in the world. Can you say Jesus is King? That's what it says in Zechariah chapter 9, 9-11. This is a messianic prophecy. That the Messiah, that the one who would be acknowledged as King, God's King, would be acknowledged as such. You know, sometimes we think of Christianity as a self-help program. We've talked about consumerism in the past. We've talked about people coming to Christ so that they can get something from God. Uh, in other words, I'm going to escape hell, or I, I, need, I need some money in my bank account, or I need to get out of this pain, or I need, to, I need something. And so we treat Christianity as a self-help program. But Christianity is not a self-help program. It's about devotion. It's about allegiance. Now that's a word you don't often hear in our society today, right? And that is allegiance. What does it mean to have allegiance to a particular king? Total devotion. Total commitment. Some of us live our lives as if we're followers of Jesus Christ only when things are going well. Only when times are good, right? Our faith seems to be really strong when things are going well. But the true test, when the rubber meets the road, the true test is, how about your faith when things aren't going so well? How about when you lose that loved one that you've been praying for healing for years and years and years? How about when that old nasty word cancer actually hits you right between the eyes? It gets too close for comfort, right? How about when the when the rubber meets the road, you're really struggling with faith. How, how about, are you devoted then? Are you committed then? Are, are you going to be the one who... The reason I ask is because these people seem to be devoted, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he... Hosanna, Hosanna. They're praising God, right? They're recognizing this is a messianic prophecy that's being fulfilled right in their very presence. And these are the same people, church, that are saying later on, what? Crucified. They're one way this particular day, and just a little bit later, they flip the switch, and now they're going to crucify him. Let me ask you a question. How is your faith? Are you, are you faithful people just when things are good? I love the, the man in the Gospels who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How honest is that? When you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you don't feel like, you know, I appreciate you, James, and you say to throw a party when my, when my struggle is going on, right? That's what it says in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Right? i just got to be honest with you. I'm not so much about throwing a party when I'm struggling. But as I mature in the faith, hopefully, as I mature in the faith, hopefully I get to a place where my faith is so strong despite what happens to me, despite the brokenness in the world, despite the enemy and this battle in places that we can't see, despite what's going on in all this area here, my faith remains strong. Your faith remains strong. And yet, we're people full of limitations, are we not? And so let me ask you again. Do you treat Christianity? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? just simply to become a consumer, just to treat Jesus as a self-help program, just to get you out of the next struggle, the next suffering? 
Or is your allegiance, or is your devotion, despite the storms that will come? You hear the difference? There's a huge difference between recognizing, you know, I've mentioned this to you before, uh, the book written that talks about Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Eidelman talks about not a fan. And he says, too often the church treats Jesus as just a hero. And Jesus is not just a hero. Yes, he is a hero and that he came and he died for us. But he's more than somebody who wants fans. He wants followers of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to be followers despite the storms? So is Jesus your king or is he just, is he just a hero? That's what it says, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then notice what happens in verse 11. He enters Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He looks around. He recognizes what's going on. And obviously there's something going wrong in the temple because he goes out to Bethany with the twelve. And then we get this text that we're all familiar with about the cursing of the fig tree, right? Why would that occur here? Why would Mark decide to include that here? This fig tree is not in leaf. And Jesus curses the fig tree in the earshot of everybody else around him. They would have known, they would have heard what Jesus said. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And as Mark says, everyone was aware of what he said. I wonder why the conversation, maybe it did. Maybe they had a little bit of conversation. Why, why would you say that, Jesus? That seems strange. Why would you curse the fig tree? So they come into Jerusalem, and this is where we have the angry Jesus, right? Most of the time we think of Jesus as being the one as pacifist, right? The one who's not angry at any time. But Jesus overturns the money changers' tables, the, the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. And we often think of false motivation, those people who were robbers, it says. and We think that they were making a market out of the temple. Let me offer a new perspective to you this morning. Maybe the problem is not they're selling pigeons in the temple. That would have made more sense, right? I mean, if I'm coming from Galilee, I'm not going to gather my pigeons before I leave Galilee, right? Why? Because the pigeon's probably going to die from Galilee to Jerusalem. You understand what I'm saying? It would have made sense for them to sell in the marketplace, to sell the sacrifices needed. The problem is they have changed the marketplace they made it to a marketplace where it should have been a house of prayer. You hear the difference? See, we've gotten it all wrong. Uh, we think of this, I say we, many people think of a structure as the church. This is not the church. This is the church, right? I, I know you guys will all agree with me. You will all say amen. You'll all shake your heads. Yes, that's true. But do we live that way? We don't. Sometimes we think the church is going to save us, right? How do I know that? Because I got, when I was growing up in church, I got gold stars for every time I showed up in Sunday school. And I'm not dismissing Sunday school. Some of you need to get in Sunday school. Some of you need to get in Bible study. Some of you need to be fed so that you can feed. Some of you need to, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. I'm going to keep saying that until you all get in a small group. Fair enough? That's the place you're going to grow the most. That's the place you're going to grow the most. Is in a small group as you interact with one another. 
That's the community this, the Scripture speaks about. But the point I'm trying to make is we think of the church, the, 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 the organization of the church, the religious order of the church as something that saves. And the church will not save you. And the book will not save you. And morality will not save you. It's only the King that will save you. It's only Jesus Christ that will save you. You hear the difference, right? You can get all the gold stars that your piece of paper can accumulate and it won't save you. You can have all the Sunday school answers. You can graduate from every kind of self-help program and it will not save you. The only thing will save you is, is Jesus Christ. And so why does He curse this fig tree? It's not about the tree. It's, I can show you, it's not about the tree. Look at what it says. Verse 15, They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything. That's the vestments. The priests and their vestments. What do you do as a high priest? I mean, think with me for just a second. What, is, what does a high priest do in the temple? The high priest is in charge of worship. The high priest would be the one that people would bring their sacrifice to, make sacrifice, they would worship, and then they would go on their way. Jesus, who as we know as New Testament followers, is the great high priest, right? Read the book of Hebrews. He's the great high priest. So the strange thing about this is, instead of inviting people and being in charge of worship, Jesus doesn't do that, right? He throws them out of the temple. You ever thought that strange? I mean, if the high priest is there to lead people in worship, why does he throw them out of the temple? They're religious people, right? That's precisely why he throws them out of the temple. It's all about selfish gain for them. And so Jesus, it's not about the tree. The cursing of the fig tree, it's not about the tree. Jesus is showing them about authority. Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 13. If you haven't been reading with us, please begin reading now. Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 13 is all about authority. And who's in authority? Not the Pharisees for sure. Not the Sadducees. Not the high priest, quote unquote high priest. But the high priest, Jesus Christ, has the authority. So when he overturns the money changers' tables, what's he saying? You've gotten it all wrong, church. You've gotten it all wrong, good Jew. I am in authority. That's what Jesus says. And if anything is displaced in our church today, I'm saying big C, if anything is out of order in the church today, it's that we worship things that we shouldn't worship. We've been talking in our, in our Sunday school class, in our Bible study, about idolatry. And we, I'm convinced that we as New Testament believers look at the Old Testament and we say, those people are uneducated, they, they don't know any better, and so they're worshiping wood and stone and things they shouldn't be worshiping. And that's true. But we do the same thing they do. We just don't have wood and stone. We worship bank accounts. We worship jobs. We worship money. We worship our favorite Sunday song. We worship something like a communion meditation or an offering meditation, as long as it fits our bill. And as long as that song's our favorite song. We worship people. Personalities. Anybody? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Even in the church. I mean, I could show you example after example after example. None of those things will save you. In fact, they're sin. And Jesus says the only thing that will save you is the one true king. We just read about it in Zechariah chapter 9. He's the only one that should be acknowledged as God. The reason that we have the first part of Mark chapter 9, 
of Jesus riding in on a donkey is to show them who He is, the authority. And so when He curses this fig tree, it's not about the tree. It's about the authority that religious people thought they had. I hope that makes sense to you. I, I think so often we think that religion's going to save us. That knowing a certain amount of Bible verses is going to save us. That being able to say all of these and the Tao's when we, pr- when we pray is going to save us. It's, it's not about those things. It's about Jesus doing a work within us. He says, my house has become not a house of prayers it should be for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers and, of course, the religious people. Have you ever made religious people mad? I, can, I have. If you've ever made religious people mad, you know they get pretty angry. And Jesus made the religious people mad here. When evening they came, they went out of the city, and here's where the teaching moment happens. They passed by this fig tree, right? Withered away to its roots. Notice, all the way to the roots. It is dead. Can I offer this to you? Don't trust the system you've been told before in society. Maybe it's a marketing ploy. Maybe it's a business idea. But don't trust the system because the system is broken. Now, what do I mean by the system? I'm talking about economics. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about everything in creation. It's all broken. You know why I know that? Because I'm existing broken in a broken world and you're existing broken in a broken world the system is broken and it has been broken since genesis chapter 3 we talk about the fall of man but it's not just the fall of man it's the fall of entire creation now chew on that for a second the fall of the entire creation we all need redemption we all need restoration we but all of creation needs that in jeremiah chapter 7 says this, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? How do you live your life Monday through Saturday? Are you any different today than before you met Jesus? You come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing these abominations, he says. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? Sound familiar? This is Old Testament. This is 700 years prior to Jesus. Does this sound familiar? That's what he says in Mark chapter 11. This, this house has become, uh, called by my name, becomes a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord, Yahweh. I wonder if Jesus showed up today if he would say the same thing about us. I'm talking about the church in general. And then I think about John chapter 5. You remember John chapter 5. John 5, I think, is up here as well. I'm the vine. Jesus speaking of red letter edition. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Notice what the key is there. What would you say the key is? Bearing fruit, right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He being God, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Right? Have you met Jesus? Is Jesus part of your life? Has the Holy Spirit moved into your life? Yes? So already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide, or remain, some translations say, in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit. Remember, you're the branch. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. The vine being Jesus Christ. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So Jesus uses this teaching moment in Mark chapter 11 to say these very things. Remember the fig tree. It's not about a tree. It's about the system. Jesus answered as they are concerned about the tree. He says, have faith in God. Recognize this temple. By the way, if you don't know, in 70 AD, the temple falls. It's destroyed in Jerusalem. They put their faith in places they shouldn't be. And I wonder sometimes if we put our faith in places they, they shouldn't be. One more text for you before we close in Galatians chapter 5. Notice what Paul says to the church in Galatia. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you as I, offered, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those, listen, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Church, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then he talks about accountability. Question I have for you this morning is Are you bearing fruit? Or are you like the fig tree? Are you bearing fruit? Good fruit, right? The fruit that speaks about, that Paul speaks about in Galatians chapter 5. Or is it just about a religious thing for you? I wonder, as I said before, if Jesus showed up today and asked and evaluated everything, are we truly loving our fellow man? Or do we love our stuff more than we love everybody else? Are we a church that is a church, an ecclesia, it's called out of the world? Or are we a, a country club that meets on a Sunday from 1045 to 12-ish? How will God judge us? How will God, as we stand before Jesus one day, will we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? My prayer is that we will. My prayer that it's not about gold stars. We understand it's not about gold stars. It's not about knowing uh, about God, it's knowing God. It's knowing Jesus. Amen? That's my prayer. Let's pray. God, we love you. And uh, I'm grateful, Father, for texts like this who speaks to who Jesus is, the authority that Jesus has, the, the kingship, the reign of being a king. And so often, God, we uh, sit back as New Testament believers and we, we applaud what Jesus did, but I'm not sure that we understand what it means to, to have total devotion, total allegiance to what, who Jesus is. I uh, pray that you would continue to be patient with us. Teach us what it means to be um, devoted, uh, committed. Uh, words that have virtually no meaning in our society today. Um, help us to be the remnant, the, the people that are called out, the people that are different than the rest of society. Um, and be okay with that. Stick out like a sore thumb because that's what Jesus did. I pray for those of us who are religious who think they, perhaps they think they don't need this message. Perhaps they think that they've, they've arrived or gone beyond what we're talking about. God, forgive us uh, if that's the case.
Help us to also to understand, God, whether it's Jeremiah, whether it's Zechariah, whether it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they all point to Jesus. Uh, help us to understand that. And God, whether there's somebody here today that's never experienced Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Would you hear our prayers, God? We love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.